Welcome to Packed with Pearson, a podcast bringing you insights and thought leadership in vertically integrated packaging solutions across a wide range of industries. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Packed with Pearson, a Pearson packaging podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we're very grateful to have you joining us live for some quality industry thought leadership. As we maneuver today's topic, make sure that you're heading to our website, pearsonpkg.com. Again, pearsonpkg.com for more information on our solutions and services. And of course, for some more Pearson packaging content, including episodes of Packed with Pearson, videos, articles, blogs, and more. You can also subscribe to Packed with Pearson on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're digging into a pressing challenge for the manufacturing industry, and that would be labor shortages. As the U.S. continues to post both record job vacancies as well as uh, job seekers, as the U.S. continues with both of these trends, several professional business groups and lawmakers are sounding the alarm on the short-term economic impacts as well as long-term outlook for how this could affect things like minimum wage, immigration, worker demographics, and the success of the U.S.'s broader industrial sector. So what we're wanting to do is ask the question, how is this manifesting in the manufacturing industry specifically? Well, here to share insights is Michael Sensky. He's chairman and CEO of Pearson Packaging Systems. Michael, great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Real pleasure getting you on. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, giving us your thoughts on a very timely issue. And as we'll uh, realize throughout the course of our conversation, one that uh, existed for several years and then with COVID was further accelerated. So we've got to get a better understanding of where that landscape is at today and what kind of strategies we should take moving forward. So just for a little bit of context for our audience here, the labor shortage in general is reaching what many are calling crisis levels, about 10 million folks unemployed. And even with mass vaccine rollout, April only showed job gains of around 266,000 jobs, which is pretty meager compared to what most economists were expecting for the month. So What sort of day-to-day challenges has this created for companies across the board and how have they responded? You know, what have you seen as a professional, uh, both in your industry and just in the broader business world? Yeah, I think a a lot of our customers in our industry, we've seen a lot of, 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 of companies really struggle with just meeting the demands of customers. Demand remains fairly high. Uh, demand for their products remains, uh, you know, fairly high. And, 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 and in many cases, uh, there's, uh, increased demand, and I think this this worker shortage is is just putting some uh, you know kind of some sideboards on on, on the ability for these uh, companies to respond quickly to meet the needs of their customers uh, to fill kind of you know uh, product you know kind of the the pipelines with the appropriate number of product, and so we're we're seeing people struggle. I think it's always been a challenge over the last several years, but I think it's really been exacerbated by COVID and in the last six to to, to eight months, we've we've seen a, a market increase in the in, in this challenge for our customers and across the board. You know, Pearson is a manufacturer, is, is, an, is, is an OEM of, of, of packaging machinery uh, and industrial solutions. 
um, you know, we're, we're, we're finding that as well is that there's a tremendous demand for our product. Uh, and, and there is a smaller than uh, normal, I would say, labor pool. Uh, and, and so we're, we're just really kind of feeling the need to, uh, you know, be more uh, deliberate about our recruiting. Uh, we're seeing uh, wage increases uh, and, and, and things like that. Um, but, but thankfully, so far, uh, I think most companies have been able to meet the need, uh, you know, the needs of their customers and have been able to adapt pretty, pretty well. What would you say have been some of the most unique ways, whether those are good, unique or bad, unique that you've seen companies uh, do to try to fill that labor gap in the short term? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I think in some cases, uh, you know, they've, they've resorted to, you know, where maybe they were a one, you know, a one or a two shift operation where they've, you know, added additional shifts, longer shifts, you know, increase them. Um, I, you know, I think they have been much more uh, aggressive about, you know, hiring, bo- you know, hiring bonuses, uh, referral bonuses to, for, for getting their employees, uh, you know, uh, you know, bonusing them or providing them a bonus if, if they, uh, you know, provide them with, with candidates that end up being hired and stay for a minimum period of time. Um, you know, we've, we've really seen, you know, uh, companies in the manufacturing sector just do everything possible up to and including automating processes that were previously manual just so that they can go ahead and meet those needs. Uh, and the needs of their customers. So it's 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 really been kind of a mixed bag, but um, I, you know, I, it's really been kind of an all hands on deck scenario for 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 most of the people we work with. All right, so now let's connect this. And I mean, you've already given us some examples, but more specifically, I want to connect this with how the labor shortage is hitting U.S. manufacturing. So uh, just to pose a more specific question, I want to start with both uh, operating margins as well as with. ROI. So can you break down how traditional manufacturing business models usually make a profit for their companies and then how a labor shortage impacts that chain reaction of processes, operations and profit generation? Yeah, I mean, it just just at a high level, typically most of those operating margins are generated. You know, there's a material content, like if they're providing a product for their customers, there's a material component to it. It's the raw materials that go into whatever that product is, and 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 that's you know one of the really big uh, you know cost drivers. Uh, and then there is the labor content, you know, of that as 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 well. And so as as we're seeing, um, uh, you know, uh, really labor shortages across the country. We're starting to see a pretty significant increase in wages, uh, and and that really is eating into those those operating uh, you know margins that that a lot of our customers and a lot of people in manufacturing have have enjoyed. Um, there's been an upward pressure here for quite some time. It's just now with this acute labor shortage, we're really starting to see the labor component of that uh, you know increase as well. In some cases, as well, due to COVID and, and 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 some other more complex, you know, supply chain reasons, you know, we're also starting to see actually some some material price increases as well, ingredient prices, things like that that go into some of our customers' uh, products, um, and and so they're really feeling, I think, a pinch, both you know, but especially from on, on the labor side, but really from both labor and and, and the material side of things, uh, their margins are really being pinched by increased costs across the board. Mm. I really appreciate all the grounded insights you've given us so far. Uh, And just to push that even further, honestly, and uh, this is kind of an anecdote, but I know you've done a lot of close work with the Washington state government. 
And so I'm curious how you're seeing this manifested in uh, the manufacturing footprint in the Northwest region, just to further give us an example of how you see this playing out day to day. So yeah, can you break down how you've seen this challenge impact uh, the Northwestern manufacturing footprint? What sort of industries are big there and how is labor shortage impacting those day to day? Well, you know, I mean, I would say that, that, I mean, there's a lot of things that are, that are, I mean, we're certainly, you know, experiencing, I think, labor shortages in the Western United States and in the Northwest specifically. So I think we're in the same boat as, as, as everybody else. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, that with everything that's going on kind of as a result of, of COVID, you know, we're starting to, and, and just even, even in the political environment that existed prior to COVID, um, you know, we're starting to see municipalities and, and, and states raise minimum wages, you know, to, tr to try to get the minimum wage closer to what could be considered a, a living wage. Um, I, I think we're seeing a lot of that in the West Coast, uh, and, and that's, uh, you know, creating kind of additional, uh, you know, cost burdens uh, on, on, you know, a lot of manufacturers. Um, I think that there's a lot of regulatory, uh, you know, things that are that are also going on just at a high level, whether that's labor and industries, you know, industrial insurance, things like that. Uh, to protect workers and, and help them get back to work. There's, there's generally, you know, we're, we're seeing cost increases, you know, in areas like that. And then a lot of states have really invested a tremendous amount, uh, you know, in, in trying to, um, you know, be the backstop to protect workers who were displaced during the pandemic. And there's a lot of legislation that's coming out to protect those workers and to protect those people. Um, and and uh, that can be in the form of maybe higher taxes. It could be in the form of different fees, uh, you know, and fee structures. That's increasing kind of the costs for a lot of businesses. And then just in, in general, I think with COVID, I think as, as companies have really struggled to keep their workforces safe, to quarantine people appropriately, um, you know, they're offering much more generous, uh, you know, sick leave policies. They're encouraging people to stay home when sick. They're, they're, they're really incurring a lot of different costs that they normally wouldn't. Um, and, and that's really finding its way, in, in, you know, into, um, you know, their cost structures and, and, and driving margins a little bit lower. I mean, it's, it's not that it's catastrophic. It's just something I don't think that was quite anticipated uh, by a lot of businesses and the business community in general, maybe in the Northwest or in the Western, in the Western United States really prior to the pandemic. All right, what I want to do now, Michael, is lay some more groundwork for this labor shortage understand some of the economic and market dynamics within manufacturing and uh, the dynamics between company and worker, uh, and then also just draw some parallels here. So what I want to start with is just getting our audience some little nuggets of information. Uh, what is the average wage typically today for workers in the manufacturing sector? And how is this shaping worker acquisition as well as retention strategies. Break down that dynamic for us. Well, I mean, you know, first of all, I, I, I think that that it, I mean, it depends on the municipality, the state, you know, as far as what the average wage is, it's certainly been increasing. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, um, you have states like the state of Washington, you know, across the board has a much higher minimum wage than it did. It used to be between 10 and $11 a couple of years ago. Now it's 1350, uh, you know, uh, at, at this point in time. I think you see municipalities like uh, Seattle, for example, where they have, uh, I believe, a $15 minimum wage. And there's even pressure to increase that beyond that. Um, when you start talking about manufacturing, you know, wages, depending on the type of manufacturing that you're talking about, you know, historically, they've they've ranged from, you know, for kind of, I would say, very low skill manufacturing, maybe in the teens, 
uh, you know, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen dollars an hour. Um, and, and, and for higher wage, I mean, it can be considerably, it can be double that, you know, or triple that, you know, like when you're talking about, you know, big manufacturers like Boeing, I mean, three, four times that number. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, is I think with raising minimum wages, what we're seeing just in general is a little bit of wage compression so that, that if, if somebody, for example, in a service industry used to make $10 an hour, and now they're making, let's say $15 an hour. Those skilled manufacturing jobs that used to pay, you know, fifteen to seventeen dollars an hour, you're, you're starting to see kind of a, you know, the, the gap between those unskilled positions and those service in, industry positions narrow, and so you're seeing a natural kind of progression in wages that maybe they were fifteen to seventeen dollars an hour, now they're, you know. 20, 22, 23, 24 dollars and, and rising. And then you stack some of the additional costs, you know, on, on top of that, you know, related to COVID. And it's, it's, it's been a big increase. And so I think what we're seeing, you know, customers, and, and not only that, but we've seen the pipeline diminish, you know, manufacturing jobs aren't necessarily, um, seen by the the current generations that are entering the workforce as desirable maybe as they used to be two or three generations ago so you combine kind of that wage pressure with with really kind of a dwindling uh, labor resource and and really it's 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 causing customers uh, you know or it's causing companies rather and including our customers if they want to retain good quality employees the best way to do that is ensuring that they're paying retention bonuses, that they're increasing wages, the benefits are increasing, and they're creating a, a really kind of vibrant and, 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 and I would say, um, uh, you know, fulfilling environment so that they can retain the workers that they have, let alone even even uh, attract new people uh, to manufacturing jobs. So it's, it's definitely a struggle. Yeah, there's a lot of competing dynamics, too, because, you know, much of the... Uh the broader, I guess, manufacturing industry over, you know, let's say the last, wow, time moves quick. 40 years, I suppose, maybe more, 50 years has been a sort of a an evolving race to the bottom. Um, you know, a lot of overseas labor being uh, used to replace U.S. manufacturing pools. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of those dynamics are reaching an inflection point, especially because COVID, where they just don't have the sustainability that maybe businesses believe they once had. And I think to your point, a big reason, uh, you know, if we intersect COVID, uh, being that, uh, a lot of workers, I think, had their value reasserted to the economy, uh, mm -hmm. both casually, uh, you know, you are an essential worker, and also materially, um, whether that was through more robust unemployment benefits or just kind of the natural view of seeing, okay, well, jobs are coming back, but why should I work for $11 an hour? Why should I work for $14 an hour? And I think a lot of workers have been um, weighing sort of their piece in that broader puzzle and leveraging that for themselves. So to that point, we've seen more and more traditionally low-wage employers like Amazon slowly boost their wages, I think, to reflect this dynamic, uh, mm -hmm. up to about $15 an hour, with other retailers then following suit. Um, and, you know, it indicates that companies, I think, see no other recourse but to raise wages to... Um, you know, to try to retain more workers. And, and the thing is, even though $15 uh, isn't actually even a, a true living wage by an MIT calculator study, it still shows that that base level that was kind of taken for granted, I think, is now getting higher and higher and higher. So I'm curious, 
how you've seen this dynamic manifest for manufacturing companies specifically. Obviously, you know, Amazon being more of a, a retailer and fulfillment footprint. Are the dynamics the same? Uh, you know, do we see pressure, just sort of, uh, you know, a, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of vibe in manufacturing, or are the dynamics slightly different? What have you seen? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, I, th I think what we've seen, and we've seen it through COVID, um, you know, with even some of the product shortages that, that are out there is that we are still dependent very much, uh, whether it's food manufacturing, whether it's, it's uh, personal care products, you know, things like that, or whether it's automobiles, airplanes, I mean, uh, you know, whatever it might be, we are very dependent. We are a consumption-based society. And for us to live our lives, you know, the way we're accustomed to living them, uh, we consume goods and services and people are manufacturing. There are people behind every one of those goods and services. And I think that what manufacturers really come to grips with is that they need to create an environment that's safe, that's rewarding, um, you know, that, that provides, uh, you know, an increasingly competitive wage and benefits. Um, and, and they want to retain those reliable, good workers that show up every day and, and work incredibly hard to do whatever it is, whatever tasks that they have in order to be successful during the course of a day. But in order to meet the demands of customers, manufacturers are having to really hang on to those workers and putting a huge premium on them. And so you're seeing really wages increase significantly. Again, I can speak about, you know, us as a manufacturer or, you know, I, I would say a very, uh, you know, manufacturing company that's very highly skilled. We have a very highly skilled workforce. And unquestionably, when you look at wages over the last three to five years, they have increased significantly, you know, 20, 30 percent in some cases or more. And then you start layering on labor shortages so that we can meet the needs of our customers and they continue to really increase. And so I think companies are, 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 are really taking that more seriously than, than, than they used to. Sure. So, you know, let's remove the wage component now for a second. Beyond that, are there any other factors that you'd say are shaping why workers aren't entering or staying in the industry? Uh, like for example, how is the education pipeline playing a role or what are any of the other major dynamics here that shape this broader labor shortage we see in manufacturing? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think some of the things is, you know, if you go back to high schools, for example, or or, or even even colleges, I think there are a lot of people who are are maybe, you know, they're they're in high school, you know, uh, they're not necessarily being exposed to manufacturing types of jobs um, as as you know legitimate careers. Um, and, and so as a result, there aren't as many maybe people that are interested in, in pursuing a job in engineering, uh, in engineering, in, in manufacturing as there were 10, 20, 30, certainly 40 or 50 years ago. It just isn't seen as desirable, um, you know, a, 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 as it once was. Um, you know, I think there's some misconceptions, frankly, about manufacturing, that they're dirty jobs, that they're low wage, you know, all the time, that they're, you know, you know, very, very tedious and and and, and menial in, in, in nature. And to be sure, there are some that that meet those kind of criteria that, that fit that description. But there are a lot that are very rewarding, that are very, very high skill, that are, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I think very different. And I think, you know, we as an as a society need to dignify um, manufacturing. We need to to let people know that that hey, it is a viable way, and there are a lot of manufacturing companies out there that offer family wage jobs and well beyond family wage jobs, uh, and 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 really make that kind of part of the conversation that we're having with people. I think this idea of just you know kids going into high school 
and and being prepared primarily for college when college isn't necessarily the best fit for a variety of reasons for everybody. Um, you know, instead of making that assumption, it's it, it's really like how do we prepare our our you know the next generations so that we're creating a workforce that that is 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 capable of of meeting the needs of our country. Uh, as as opposed to just assuming there's kind of a one size fits all curriculum that gets everybody into a four year university and that you know manufacturing jobs are dirty and should be avoided when, when frankly I think the vast majority of them are not. So let's offer some strategies then for both <laughs> the uh, short and long term. Let's start with the short term. In the short term, Michael, what can companies do to keep production up? even if workers are few and far between. And we'll also chat some long-term structural strategies as well. But just in the short term, you know, how do we fill these gaps uh, or keep output at the level that we want it to be? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, number one is let's not make a bad situation worse. Um, if there's already a labor shortage and so the retention of existing employees by offering you know, competitive wages, a, a rewarding environment, great benefits, things like that. That's obviously one thing is retain the existing workers that, that, that you have and the employees and associates that, that companies have so that the problem doesn't actually get worse. Um, you know, I think some of the other short term strategies, you know, really are, uh, you know, being more proactive about going into your community and finding people in vocational schools and community colleges, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, running start programs, different things like that and, and start engaging with people. Uh, and, and potential candidates, you know, in, in, in different ways and maybe sooner and more proactively than people otherwise would. So instead of just assuming there's going to be this pipeline of talent that you can draw from, uh, you know, really going out and, and uh, uh, you know, really going out and, and, and I think being more proactive and deliberate about recruiting. Um, you know, I think the reality is, is there are also a lot of opportunities. Um, and I think this is something that's very important is automate you know, start looking at automation, you know, especially automating repetitive and menial tasks so that you can free humans up, the people up to do kind of, you know, to so that they can fulfill maybe their best and highest purposes. Um, you know, one of the things we do as a company at Pearson Packaging Systems is, is we automate what are, are typically pretty menial processes of erecting cases and trays, packing products into cases and trays. Um, those uh, can be characterized by long hours on your feet, repetitive stress injuries, you know, things like that. You know, they're not particularly rewarding. I'm not saying that they're not, but, but they can be more menial in nature. One of the best strategies is to automate those types of menial tasks, those types of repetitive tasks so that you can free the people that work for you up to do kind of more complex, rewarding things so that you can actually make do with the workforce that you have. And so those are some of the things that I think you can definitely do in the short term that could have a, a tremendously positive impact on your operation. So... Even though I agree, I see a lot of value in that. There is also some budget considerations to consider and just broader uh, implementation and integration in a way that maximizes that technology. So I was wondering if you could also offer us some insights there. How do technology solutions like robotics or automation impact budget considerations, especially coming out of uh, the COVID financial crisis? And are these usually high CapEx investments? How should companies maneuver those investments? Break that down for us. Well, I mean, it, I mean, it really depends on the process that you're talking about automating. I mean, sure. there are a lot of very simple processes that that for um, you know, literally, you know, like, let's just talk about like, you know, uh, case erecting where you're forming a case or forming a tray, maybe at 15 or 20, you know, cases a minute. 
an investment of anywhere between maybe forty and fifty thousand dollars, if if you're a three shift a day operation, may very well uh, free up eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve individuals that would otherwise be doing that job, and so that the ROI is it's it's almost self fulfilling, it's self uh, financing that you make that investment. Um, you know, there are some very very creative ways, uh, you know, to even even approach. Uh, the procurement of, of equipment. You know, traditionally it's been if it's a $50,000 machine or a $100,000 machine or a $500,000 machine, you have to pay for that out of pocket all up front. There are certain pro- programs in place like machine as a service where you're not being required by companies like Pearson Packaging Systems to buy that piece of equipment up front in one lump sum, but you actually pay for it. Um, you know, uh, you're paying for the output that's generated by that product on a per unit basis over time, as opposed to making one large lump sum, you know, investment. And so there's a lot of creative ways that that, that people, I think, can automate processes from small to large. Um, You know, certainly the more complex the process and, 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 you know, the more expensive it can be. Um, And if you're budget constrained, you know, I would really encourage people to explore, you know, hey, what automation opportunities might exist or alternative financing approaches or or, or machine as a service where you're paying for output instead of for a piece of equipment uh, that give give manufacturers tremendous flexibility. I mean, I, I would encourage people to explore those options before just assuming that they can't afford it. Now, let's look to the future a little bit to go ahead and close out our conversation we mentioned some short-term strategies. What do you see as the long-term strategies to fill that labor gap and create uh, more either opportunities or interest among workers to funnel into this industry? What do you see as uh, you know uh, needed to achieve that kind of long-term strategy? Break down your vision there. Well, I mean, I you know I, I think one of the things is, is is that there are opportunities, obviously, to start talking to um, you know uh, re- really. I think it starts with with the educational system. It's like what are we preparing, you know, kind of our our, our kids and, and future generations of kids to do? And I think it's exposing them to the fact that a lot of these jobs, you know, we talked about a little bit, you know, lower wage jobs and kind of increasing wages and things like that earlier. But a lot of these jobs are very fulfilling. Uh, and well beyond family wage jobs, things like that, is just exposing them to that and showing them what modern manufacturing actually is. Uh, and 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 I think you know really kind of starting to 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 get into the high schools and 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 the vocational schools that are after high school, uh, you know, and and really kind of investing in in programs and, and and curriculum that really prepares kids for those types of jobs and exposes them to that even even as as just a possibility. Um, I think, you know, when, when you start thinking about, you know, really providing opportunities for internships, you know, where you can bring younger kids in and actually expose them kind of on the job so that, you know, in, if they're in high school or post high school, they have the opportunity to, to work in a manufacturing environment, making that a little bit more easy. Uh, you know, to accomplish and cost effective for for companies to offer those types of internships and, you know, allow, you know, kind of ease maybe regulations right now about what kinds of people you can have in your facility and win in a manufacturing environment so that we can start exposing people, you know, to those types of jobs. Um, you think about apprenticeship programs that are used really in Europe and elsewhere, um, you know, creating apprenticeship programs, uh, you know, so that those types of jobs can be filled uh, and, 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 and that we're actually, you know, empowering companies to train future generations of workers, things like that. 
Um, I also think longer term, it's really looking at what kind of jobs should be automated, what shouldn't be automated, where do we actually want people to be, you know, interacting and, 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 and working kind of in those processes and, and again, being deliberate about it. It used to be that we just used to think that, hey, there's an unlimited supply of, of individuals that are going to take these jobs, and that's just not the case. And so it's what can we do to create kind of more rewarding environments for employees, better wages, better benefits, um, I, I think career progression paths so that they can see that, hey, if I start here at, at this wage, I can actually end up where I want to be years down the road. Uh, and, and, and really feel like I've got a, a, a great career with, with great benefits and, and, and stability, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in their job and their career. I think the, the biggest thing we can do is just make manufacturing a career, not a job, so that it's something that they can reliably, you know, depend on, um, you know, to provide for themselves and their families for, for years to come. And I think on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap up our conversation for the day. Thank you, Michael, so much for all of your insights, uh, giving us an overview of this labor shortage in general, but obviously more specifically how it's intersecting with the manufacturing industry and offering some long-term and short-term strategies for realizing the end of that gap. I'm very curious to see how automation and robotics uh, not only enable this short-term, but also a long-term synergized uh, modern manufacturing workforce that uses these as tools. But we'll probably uh, have to do that in a follow-up conversation to you know, uh, get a better sense for what that synergy looks like. So thank you again for laying the foundation here for us. Michael Sensky, Chairman and CEO of Pearson Packaging Systems. It's really been a pleasure chatting today. And if folks want to find out more about some of the work that Pearson Packaging is doing, how can they do so? You know, they can go to our website, www.pearsonpkg.com. They can go, you know, we, we also have, uh, you know, social media, you know, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook pages as well. But the best way is really through, through the website at www.pearsonpkg.com. Perfect. Easy enough. All right. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure, Michael. We'll chat again soon. Great. Thanks for the opportunity. And thank you everyone for watching another live episode of Packed with Pearson, a Pearson packaging podcast. If you like what you heard and saw and want some more Pearson content, make sure you're heading to our website, again, pearsonpkg.com, as well as subscribing to Packed with Pearson on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time. 